the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Welcome to this Farm Advisory podcast on spring barley disease management. I'm Fiona Burnett, Head of Knowledge Exchange and Impact at Scotland's Rural College. And I'm joined today by my colleagues, Neil Havis, who leads the crop protection teams, and senior consultant, Peter Lindsay. So we're hoping to just have a good conversation about the spring barley disease uh, management options and what the issues are for this season. And I'll maybe start with you, Peter, because it's been this very strange, cold, dry start for the crops. So how are the crops looking out there and what do you think the, the issues are for them at the moment? Yeah, it seems a bit of a dim and distant memory now, the, the cold, dry spell, um, because we've had significant amounts of rains uh, in the last two weeks in this area anyway. Um, but yeah, when we were planting, um, there was strong winds and, and a lot of frosts. Um, there wasn't an awful lot of pre-emergent herbicides put on um, because of the dry weather. And some of the late cloud stuff, of which there was quite a lot this year, and due to the, the wetter winter, um, it was into Charlie's crops were drilled into Charlie's seed beds, and we were a bit worried about the emergence. But since then, we've had the rain, those bits have filled in. Um, the early sown crops are up now, tillering well. The earliest ones might be pushing growth stage 30, but um, they're certainly well into tillering, um, with some of the later ones just about the kind of three leaf stage. Um, Disease-wise, I can't say I've actually seen disease in spring barley yet. I think we're, we're just there. But yeah, I'm more mindful now that the weather conditions have changed from that dry weather into what we've had as prolonged wet weather. And certainly up here, we are pushing close to 100 mils of rain for May so far. Uh, so we're no shortfall of moisture in the ground now. And that presumably has helped even up crops. I mean, some of the ones I was looking at around Midlothian were quite patchy, but have evened up now. Are they relatively even now, do you think? Yeah, um, it's the only ones that are a wee bit different are those that were sown in the dry spell, relatively early in the dry spell. And it, if they sat there for a couple of weeks before they got the moisture um, to germinate any of the, the, the ungerminated seeds that were sitting in the kind of quaddy seed beds at that time uh, but they are evening up and compared to previous years and probably last year uh, it's a lot quicker to get the rain uh, last year we waited six weeks probably uh, before the rain actually came and we had some quite phenomenal differences in fields um, between plants that were at one leaf and plants that were in the stem extension at the same time in the same field within the same square meter basically so we're obviously getting towards the end of May now and crops, spring barley crops, are going to have to grow really rapidly. So we'll maybe get on to how that changes our thinking about disease management. But are you seeing similar in the SRUC trials, Neil? Any diseases there? There's nothing. There's no disease in the spring barley. As, as Peter said, they're, they're just coming to the point where you might expect to see disease coming in. But interesting to see because uh, trial sites, we obviously have winter barley trials as well. And we've seen a fairly high disease pressure in terms of rhynchosporium. So that's what we'll be looking for is that potential transfer from the rhynchosporium from 
winter to the spring crops. But obviously mildew, because all of the RL lists now are all MLO resistant, so mildew is not going to be an issue. Early rhynchosporium is what we'll be looking for. But as the season goes on, if it's warm and wet, remember 2014, we had a lot of brown rust. We'll be looking for that. We'll be looking for possibly tan spot. We've seen a lot of tan spot. It's bubbling away just consistently in barley crops. They've had issues with Septorian adorum in Barley and Ireland. We've not seen it in Scotland. And then, of course, after heading, we'll all be looking out for Ramularia and seeing if that's going to come in this year. And it's like, it's, who knows? Well, we can take a stab at a guess, but can't be sure one way or the other. Well, we can get on to a discussion on yeah. that, Neil. So, <laughs> I mean, thinking of these early timings, um, you know, it would be the T-naught might be targeting mildew and you've already indicated them in the risk of that is very low in the spring yeah. barley crops because they carry that resistance. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact that the crops are now moving so rapidly. Um, so then the T1 timing, which traditionally that's about retaining side tillers if we do have heavy disease pressure, particularly from wrinkle. Um, but again, thinking how quickly crops will be growing now, we know that in spring barley crops, the you know the yield responses are less heavily weighted towards that T1 than they are in the winter barley crops. Mm-hmm. And we've done quite a long series of trials, Neil, which we could maybe reference now, um, showing the additive value of a T1 spray on spring barley crops um, where wrinkle strikes. Yeah. But actually... I mean, you can describe it in more detail, but it's the very small minority of those scenarios where we've actually had a response to a T1 spray Mm -hmm. in addition to the T2 spray. Yep. So one of our colleagues, Ian Bingham, did a series of trials. It was a Means of Lauriston funded project. And he, he was doing just as you said, he was looking at different scenarios to see there's always been a big debate about the value of the T1 spray in spring barley, especially, as you say, when the crop's growing rapidly potentially growing away from any disease, you can walk the crop and you can see very little in terms of rhynchosporium. So Ian was looking at that. He was looking at missing out the t naught spray. He actually sampled the crop and actually looked for the pathogen DNA in the crop. And basically his conclusion, he looked at two different varieties with different resistance ratings to rhinco. And basically the only, the merit in having the T1 spray was we had a susceptible variety and at one in one year across the years that the trials were taking place. So you need to know the susceptibility of your variety. You need to walk it to make sure if there's any symptoms present. If you see anything that indicates rhinxpoium present, there's a value in adding the T1 because what Ian found is the T1 and T2, if you add them together, they give better disease control than the T2 on its own or the T1 on its own. And that translated into the yield for those crops as well. So this year, I mean, having... Um, a variety of a kind of moderate rating like Laureate is helpful. The fact that they're growing rapidly is probably helpful in reducing disease risk. But on the other hand, as Peter's already said, we're now back into quite wet conditions, yeah. which maybe increases the risk a bit. So ab- Absolutely. So you, you combine what, what the weather forecast, your knowledge of the weather conditions on the farm and the, what the crop is experiencing with with the resistance rating of the, the crop. And you're right, compare it with, with last year. We had that eight-week dry spell. Spring barley got growing and just grew away, so we didn't see any disease. So it's really keeping your eye on the weather, uh, 
knowing the resistance rating of your crop, walking the crop, and, and that'll give you get some indication of whether you need to go with that T1. If you're in any doubt of it, there's no harm in being a bit risk averse and thinking about putting something on at T1, because other work has shown the T1 and a half going in late is not as beneficial as having a T1 plus a T2. Yeah, we'll get on to Ramularia, but that feeling if you drop in the middle, you just compromise everything. You've let early disease establish and you're too early to manage Ramularia. So in terms of, you know, you're describing there the, the Rhynchosporium risks. So, I mean, the options there are something like a nasal and an SDHI mix to balance the, you know, the, the risk. And you, you've also talked about Tanspot um, with some net blot risks going around as well. If we have a particularly warm spring from now on, net blotch could be an issue. Uh, it could well be related to where, where you've got your seed from as well. But yeah, so so Siltrex Pro has been a pretty robust spray for us as a T1 timing. That Azol and SDHI combination is, is good. Proline's a good all-rounder, we know that, and SDHI is good against the Rhynchosporium, so it just checks that disease and should keep the crop clean enough until the, the T2 spray. And how do you think farmers are feeling about the T1 sprays at the moment, Peter? I mean, it's early at the moment to be thinking about them, but have any gone on? And do you think there's a feeling of disease risk or will some people opt to just wait and do a T2? Uh, yeah, I think it's about risk management, really. A lot of the spring barley crops have not yet had a herbicide, um, so... The chances are that it will, as we're going through slightly later than ideal for a herbicide, we'll put a fungicide in with that to tide us through. It's all well and good doing nothing, but if the weather is poor and you can't get your T2 on when you want it on, that's when the problems really arise. Um, financially, the prospects are quite good for all the cereals at the minute. so. For a £15 a hectare spend on a fungicide um, to risk potentially £200 a tonne crops, it doesn't take much of a yield benefit or penalty to justify the, the, the cost of the fungicide. Um, I'm not aware of any having gone on yet. Um, some of them have managed to get the, the herbicides done on their own um, a, a week or two ago. Um, but since the weather's turned slightly more catchy, um, then the decision has been made to, to merge the, the herbicide and the an early kind of fungicide together. Just, I think the early fungicide will be fine this year. As you say, we're now entering a period of rapid growth. I'm quite confident that in the three to four weeks window from getting the T1 on, we'll easily be it on tip and uh, keep that cover going throughout the, the window. So we're probably looking at, you know, the, the lower dose range um, for the T1 sprays on spring barley. And I suppose, again, the difference for this year is that there's no cheap option uh, now that we don't have chlorothalonil. So we are looking at, you know, the either the STHI azole mixes or maybe the one we didn't mention is a strabilurin uh, azole mix as well, where strabilurins are still helpful um, for rhynchosporium management. Uh, and for net blotch where they're used in mixture like that. And let's assume that, you know, we continue with this rapid growth and then we get to 
to the T2 timings, Neil, and you've already mentioned Ramularia, which is obviously, you know, one of the major concerns in spring barley. And the fact that its appearance is so erratic uh, and we get these really bad years and we get years where it's less of an issue, you know, is your crystal ball handy? Um, what impact do you think the cold, dry bits had and where are we at now? If you compare it with last year, that dry spell, I think, really knocked, reduced the ramularia risk in the winter and spring crops. I don't think it was long enough in the winter crops this year, so I expect we might see it. Uh, and also in the spring crops, I think, as Peter said, it's turned catchy and there's a lot more rain. So what we'll be looking for is temperature and rainfall, that the crop's going from sowing mm -hmm. up to kind of heading. And if you see a lot of warm temperatures and rainfall, that's the indication we'll be thinking about could be a Ramularia year. So the way it's going at the moment, if it's a little bit warmer, I would be sounding like a, a careful how I phrase this, more confident of seeing Ramularia in the field if it was a little bit warmer. But certainly the amount of rain that we're having is going to favour the fungus. It's going to help it colonise that plant more effectively. Okay, but the cooler conditions are just slightly reducing the risk then, do you think? Just slightly reducing the risk, yeah. Yeah, I, I sense that you're not wanting to make a, a big prediction here. But... <laughs> it's, uh, yes, it, 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 of, of all of the pathogens, it's, it's the one that's hardest to kind of predict. And as I say, the previous work we've done, we've looked across Scotland and we've looked at the different climatic regions, the different distinct regions. So if you go north of Inverness, it's a different climate again. You can see practically no disease. So again, you need to know the, the weather conditions in your local region. Don't just rely on what you hear on a national basis. Know about your specific conditions. And again, we've always tell people, even knowing your local farm conditions, if you have a history of Ramularia on the farm, we know there are so many microclimates around hills and other things that can influence that, that can make you more at risk of getting the disease symptoms coming through. Yes, so the previous experience of the disease is really key here if they've got fields and sites where they see more of it. And I mean, obviously, again, the withdrawal of chlorothalonil, which was one of the most effective products uh, in managing Ramularia, makes it you know, different this year. Um, and the other issue we've got is obviously Ramularia's history of developing fungicide resistance so that we know the SDHIs are largely ineffective in the in the Ramularia scenario. Some retained efficacy in the azoles. Is that the fact? There was a little bit of activity from the proline in the FP trial in previous work. So, but if, if you're looking, if you think, like I said, if the conditions that we discussed previously fit your farm and your crop and you think you're concerned about Ramularia, the best option that you have is obviously the, the Revistar XE. But if it's a malting crop, remember, it needs to go on by growth stage 45. So that determines when it's going to go on. You, you've mentioned the loss of CTL. So that leads on to the other big debatable question is the value of fall pit. I mean, <laughs> if, you're, if you're smiling, you can't see that. So fall pit, listening to colleagues in Europe, they, they consistently report some activity from Fulpit against Ramularia. We didn't see much in the FP trial, but that was one shot of Fulpit, possibly not at the optimal timing. So in terms of use it, using it as part of your anti-resistant strategy, I think there is some merit in considering Fulpit. 
and adding it into your, your T2 spray. But remember, of course, in terms of ramulate activity, it's nowhere near the kind of levels of control we saw with CTL, which was even better than the, the Revistar XE. I mean, it was just outstanding against Ramularia, but I hope it might give you something, but don't, don't lean on it and expect it to be a CTL direct replacement. Yeah, so I think in our trials, Neil, it would be fair to say that its effect is inconsistent and where we do see it, it's, yes, you're right, it's where we've used it in addition to a, another program rather than the fungicide performance work where it was used on its own. Um, yeah. So yeah, can be helpful in some scenarios. I mean, the other bit there that people ask about is the influence of anything they do at T1 with their fungicides, whether that carries forward in any useful way in terms of reducing ramularia risk. I've always thought that was quite a stretch, but what do you think? It's a, it's a good question. When we went, when Prothiaconazole first came on the scene and was particularly effective against ramularia, we did see a little bit of carry through from the T1 spray timing to control ramularia, but we've not seen much for a good few years now. So I'll, unless you're using something with specific activity against ramularia like Revistar and a T1, I can't, wouldn't expect to see anything carry through to fight your T2 timing. And the other one that we've talked to, I mean, you actually do this deliberately in trials to try and bring on ramularia is, you know, we we know that some crop stresses uh, are a trigger for ramularia. So is there anything that you would advise people to avoid in terms of how they're managing crops to try and reduce the stress on on the crop and and therefore minimise the risk of ramularia? So obviously, you're right, stress does affect the ramularia symptom development. So making sure your crop is has adequate nutrition is so you, you'll take care of that. There's no stress from, from weeds. Obviously, we can't control the weather in terms of drought stress or waterlogging, so we'll have to, that's out with our control. But if, if you do everything you can to, to make sure nutrient levels are good in the crop, it's well fertilized, it's, it's well managed, it looks healthy. Um, that, that's about all you can do. There's been some talk recently about the effect of tree or pollen on ramularia. I have seen absolutely no evidence of that whatsoever, but you might hear of some people talking about it as a stress factor. There is nothing in the literature or from researchers that gives any credence to that discussion. So I wouldn't worry about pollen at this point. No, I mean, trees, you've already referenced the sort of microclimates you get in fields. So there could be a difference around trees just in terms of the humidity. But I mean, given that trees are flowering and producing pollen now, that's a long way off from when you're seeing ramularia symptoms. Yes. Yes. What a shame to blame the trees. And the sorts of things you're doing in trials um, where you've, um, if you like, deliberately mistiming a growth regulator is a is a crop stress yeah um and we can do that in trials as a tool and peter's already talked a bit about the herbicides so there's maybe a bit there about clearly nobody sets off to deliberately stress a crop but at least trying to avoid complex mixes um and keeping timings right Uh, absolutely if you've done something by you know it could be a a mistake or just bad timing and it's put you can see if you're walking the crop and you see it's had an stress it could even be conditioned straight after an application we know we've seen in previous years we can get very late frosts or very dips in temperature that 
any stress like that that's going to affect and stress the crop will will favor the fungus it changes the host the plant physiology and it tips that whole balance between the two but you're right so we're looking at things like that how we can manipulate stress in the crop but also again starting to get try and get a feel for the effect of biostimulants and what they potentially might have in some of the work that we're doing as well well i was going to ask you if there was anything new coming along so we we have a means of lauriston project which ran for a couple of years we were supposed to go in the second year last year but of course with covid hit it impacted our trials program so the trials are running again this year and hopefully by the end of this year we'll have a better feel for what influence these may or may not have on ramulated development there's a lot of lot of questions in the scientific community about the influence of nitrogen and nitrogen availability on ramulea symptom expression and that's something again i mentioned ian bingham that's something he's doing in trials as well this year so that these are the things we're kind of looking at on the experimental side and hopefully be able to give growers advice based on that in future years. Neil, maybe you could just describe a little bit about, you know, how the symptoms appear. So just that switch in ramularia where it's within the plant and not bothering it and where we're at with those triggers that make it turn to the spot forming phase. We know it's related to, to stress and the biggest stress that most crops are going to experience is flowering, which is an actual stress. And then you'd be looking for symptoms appearing at the, the top of the canopy. There are a lot of spring barley varieties. The F-1 leaf is the biggest leaf. So that's primarily where we look for symptoms development. There's a lot of confusion about symptom formation. You, we're looking for a fine pepper spot as the start of ramularia symptoms and then they'll enlarge and coalesce and become the characteristic square spots. And to differentiate them between other disease symptoms, we're looking for the five R's. So it's a reddish brown coloration. It's a rectangular lesion. It's a ring of chlorosis. It's uh, restricted by the veins. So compare that with uh, other pathogens which go across the veins. And it's um, it's right through the leaf. If you turn the leaf off, it's a mirror image on the other side. And that's so some of the other pathogens or other diseases might look similar and tick some of those boxes, but only ramulina ticks all five. Yes, I always, that one where you turn the leaf over and it looks just as bad on the back as the one that's really indicative to me. And Peter, I mean, again, are farmers, um, you know, worried about ramularia this year? And, and you know, again, going back to the, the loss of chlorothalonil, do you think they the worry has increased there? Uh, yeah, there's a slight concern about it, but I wouldn't say they're um, worrying endlessly about it. Um, but uh, we just have to use the tools that we've got and control what we can control and don't worry about what's gone really yet. It's sad to see the loss of CTL, but it's gone. So we have to move on with that thought process. Obviously, last year, many farms didn't have it or couldn't get it on. Um, it was too late um, when it disappeared. So we've had a season with not using it, and it was fine. But the weather conditions certainly seem at the minute to be different to this year, and no two seasons are the same. But we've already had one season without the CTL on many crops, um, and it didn't cause great issues. So, yeah. It's something to keep an eye on, but I wouldn't say that we're worrying endlessly about it. You just get on with the job. Yep. 
Um, and I suppose it's worth, Neil, not losing sight of the other diseases. So again, at that T2 timing, it's about managing any residual disease in the crop. So, I mean, again, we're probably looking at the, the ASOL-SDHI mixes with or without FOPIT, as, as you've said. Yeah, they're, they're good all-round protectant and uh, activity against other pathogens. So any rhynchosporium, if it stays wet and rhynchosporiums move up the canopy, that'll give you that protection. If, as you see, if net blotch appears and also, again, the brown rust is it's not something, but the last time we saw a heavy brown rust epidemic was 2014. So if it does get particularly warm and stays quite humid, I think that's people should possibly think about putting a straw in as well just to check that brown rust. And the timing's probably the, the other thing just to quickly touch on. So traditionally, it's that booting to ear emergence um, and you've referenced flowering as being a particular stress. So ideally, you know, you want to be on ahead of the stress and certainly ahead of symptoms. Um, Revastar being the most effective product um, that early growth stage 45 timing does make it tricky for some crops. So are we thinking then that that's where you'd be using the prothioconazole SDHI mixes? If you don't think ramulae is going to be an issue, you have a bit more flexibility. You can go later with the prothioconazole SDHI. This is the trouble with ramularia. The, so the research shows the later you spray it, the more effective the control. But of course, you have to follow the, the guidance and the, the the regulations for use of the fungicide. If you don't think you're going to get ramularia, if you've never had an issue with it and you just want to control the other diseases, as you say, you've got a bit more flexibility and we know you could even go up to into the 50s. But with the Revastag, you need to be 45 and stick to that. So try to plan well in advance and, and don't get caught out with the weather if you're going down the Revastag route. Yeah, and it's probably one therefore to target at those very high risk ramularia crops. Yeah. And um, for the others, you could go with a prothioconazole mix and be a bit more flexible in your timing. That's good. So I think that's given us a good run through of the, the issues. Um, certainly for the most part, the, the rain and the moisture has been very welcome in uh, getting crops moving again. But yes, Maybe just to go back to the fact that growth is likely to be very rapid this year. And, you know, we've talked a lot about just walking crops, uh, keeping an eye on what develops and adjusting the inputs as you go. And hopefully there's been a few ideas from today's podcast of the, the things to look for, uh, the timings and the types of products to be thinking about. So thank you.